0: Anyway, good afternoon. Um, today we're going to look at First Peter chapter four, verses one through eleven. Okay, so uh, today's text, First Peter chapter four, verses one through eleven. Sermon is entitled "Live for God," So simply live for God. Reading from verse one: Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you Father, we thank you for this time that we can gather to worship. We can uh, sit at the feet of your word. We thank you for um, just even the uh, blessings of good weather and the effect that it has in our daily mood. We thank you for even the uh, th- pandemic, which seems to be coming to a close, that brings us together once again we see some of these ways that you're at work bringing blessings in our lives and at the same time we see the world and we see still many um, wars and troubles even what's going on in israel and and uh, we know that um, that uh, the realities of uh, sin in a fallen world is is true and real and so we look to your word and ask that you would speak to us, give us um, guidance through your word to know how to live before you um, in these times. We ask these things in Jesus' name, Amen. Um, okay, so this is uh, it's kind of a one-off sermon out of First Peter, and um, I think it's relevant because. 1 Peter deals largely with suffering, how Christians should be dealing as we're going through suffering in our lives, and um, gives us uh, guidance in terms of um, how we should view that suffering and how we should live uh, for God. So we'll, we'll think about that through this text. First, live no longer for human passions. Live no longer for human passions. Again, he says in verse 1, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Um, Peter's writing this letter to to Christ's followers who are um, not only living as exiles in this world, uh, but they're dispersed. They're dispersed in unfamiliar lands, and they're persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. And he's reminding them that suffering for Christ is innate to following Christ. It it goes along with bearing the name of Jesus Christ. And even in the passage right before this, Peter talked about how, how Christ suffered, that Christ suffered for our sins He says the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God and his sufferings accomplished salvation for us and that's the flow of thought here since Christ suffered he says be ready to suffer yourself as you identify with Christ as you seek to live for Christ suffering will come your way but now in this passage he adds one new component to how the christians should see, how the christians should see their suffering and that is the relationship between suffering and sin peter says be ready to suffer for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so in some way suffering when we go through suffering suffering is intended to change our relationship to sin What does it mean that the sufferer has ceased from sin? He continues in verse 2 and says, So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past, your former life, the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. So he's saying that suffering has the effect of decreasing our desire for sin, and not only decreasing our desire for sin, but increasing our desire for the will of God. Um, that's, that's the one of the designs of suffering. If we kind of dig deeper into this thought a little further, back in chapter 1, Peter already told us that faith is precious. Faith is precious because faith helps us to like, as we live this life in faith, living in faith, like with faith, helps us to zoom in on what he called an imperishable inheritance waiting in heaven. Right? So, while you're living in this world, faith is precious because it helps you to hope in heaven, an inheritance that's waiting in heaven. And the role of suffering, he says, is to test that faith, to purify that faith, so that our faith can become deeper and is proved genuine through suffering. And that's why suffering is beneficial. It's purifying this precious faith that helps us to hope in heaven as we live in this world. Now, one of the ways that, the the thought that he adds here is that one of the ways that, that suffering purifies our faith is that it leaves a distaste for sin. As we go through suffering in our lives, it diminishes the taste for sin. I guess in that sense, suffering is kind of like toothpaste. Um, there, I mean, this is kind of a bad illustration, but this is what I thought of. So, you know, there are a lot of yucky, yucky stuff that kind of exists in our mouths. And toothpaste, like normally it's not something that you want to like constantly have in your mouth, right? But once in a while, you have to have it in your mouth, hopefully more than once in a while. We need it to enter our mouths to clean out the yucky stuff. And toothpaste not only cleans out the yucky stuff, but it also changes our taste buds temporarily, right? Like we normally like to taste sweet things like candy and chocolate and all kinds of things that aren't necessarily good for us, good for our bodies, but we like how we taste nonetheless and so, you know, But those sweet tastes taste horrible right after brushing our teeth. And Peter's saying suffering is kind of like that. Suffering leaves a distaste, or is intended to leave a distaste for living in what he calls, you know, sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. So to. That's what he's saying to the people who are suffering, to these Christians who are suffering and and they're going through unjust suffering for the name of Jesus Christ. Peter says, arm yourselves with this way of thinking. Just as Christ suffered, think this way about suffering so that you don't shun it, you don't avoid it. Understand, arm yourself with this way of thinking that suffering is intended to purify our faith by leaving us with a distaste for human passions so that we can have an increase for the will of God in our lives. Live no longer for human passions. Secondly, they will give account. Okay, so after he says that, he says, But now for those who do live for human passions, Peter says in verse 5, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So this is speaking to those who think, what difference does it make how I live my life? Right? Like we're all going to die anyway. What's the difference? I mean, if we're all going to die, what's the difference? Might as well enjoy life and indulge in this world now. And to that, Peter says, God judges the living and the dead. So that means everyone will be judged by God. No one will escape the judgment of God. Um, So death might enable us to escape an earthly debt, right? Um, If you owe someone, some other man, a debt, death might enable us to escape that debt, but death cannot allow us to escape since death before God, because God judges the living and the dead. Verse 6, For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. Peter, of course, is not saying here that there's an opportunity after death to accept the gospel. Rather, he's saying the gospel was preached to those who are now dead. This is why the gospel is preached even to those who are dead, who are now dead, so that when they face judgment, they can face judgment and attain eternal life. So he's essentially saying here that there's a lesson that we, the living, can learn from those who are now dead because we're all headed there too now dead who received the gospel while they they were living and even though they were judged by people in a particular way for that choice maybe they were persecuted and judged a certain way and people saw them as being weird or whatever they are now, because they received the gospel, they are now living having received that imperishable inheritance in heaven so the lesson here is Hear the gospel and trust in Jesus now. Live no longer for human passions, but live for the will of God now. Live by faith now, knowing that we will also have to give an account someday. Um, You know, I'm sure the Ravi Zacharias news hit many of us pretty hard. Um, you know, I, I listened to a lot of his talks and sermons over the years and uh, I admired him and his ministry from a distance. So when that report came out, it hit me pretty hard. And um, I guess there are a few things, a few things that I've seen in, my, in the course of my life that like something happens and then like I didn't have a paradigm Uh, to understand that in my mind, right? And that's how I felt when that report came out. Like I didn't have a category, even like in my theological understanding uh, for that happening, like someone like that ending up in a place like that. And you know, like soon after that, like all these articles came out and all these videos, like people trying to help people make sense of it. But to be honest, like those things still did not alleviate like this bewilderment that I felt. Um, And it's still like not much has changed concerning that. But one thing that I took away from that personally, like from that experience, was that it, it placed the fear of God in my heart. You know, like how did how did that happen to someone like that? Like he knew so much. He seemed so unlikely. How could that happen? But then I'm like, wait, like there's sin in my own heart. There's lust in my own heart. There's a desire for sin in my own heart. Which is so real so that means i can easily end up where he ended up apart from the grace of god so the fear of god like i need to take heed from this and take sin seriously yeah i get you know this portion of the text i guess is written to like those who um are living for human passions, are not trusting in Jesus Christ and things like that. But I think this passage should be a warning even for Christians. Because like, it's possible. It's possible that we could be playing around with sin. It's possible that we could be taking God's grace for granted and living for earthly passions. And this passage reminds us that we can learn from those who are now dead that we will have to give an account just like they had to give an account. Live no longer for earthly passions, human passions, but for the will of God because living in the dead, everyone will have to give account. Thirdly, lastly, the end of all things is at hand. The end of all things is at hand. Now, after having said those things, How should we apply this teaching? Like how how are we supposed to live this out? Peter gives a a few practical applications. First, um, watch in prayer. Watch in prayer. Verse 7, he says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded, for the sake of your prayers. So Peter's saying, you're living in the last stage, right? The end of all things is at hand. You're living in the last stage of God's redemptive story. It's that time in history where we're looking forward to the end. So now, living in this particular time period calls for a certain mindset. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, this is a mindset. Be self-controlled and sober-minded. Be sane and sober. Be alert. Be clear-minded. Why? Why? for the sake of your prayers. He's saying, now this is a time to be praying. As you're living in this time period, looking forward to the end, be alert, because this is a time to be praying. Many of you have seen this video. Um, I linked it on Facebook because um, it was so, so convicting came across an interview with um, Dr. Sinclair Ferguson and the interviewer asked him like, what concerns you the most about the church today considering the state of the church today you know, as you travel all over the world what concerns you most about the church today and he talked about identified one thing and he called identified what he called practical atheism practical atheism Professing, like people professing to believe in God, but living as if we don't. And then one specific thing that he identified is the fact that many Christians don't pray. And if you don't pray, um, we're living as practical atheists. We're living as if God doesn't exist. God's not around. God, we don't, we don't need God. What's the difference between someone who believes in God and doesn't believe in God if the person who believes in God doesn't pray? practical atheism and he specifically identified our attitude in the church even among Christians during the pandemic like this attitude he says of we can fix this right like we can find the vaccine we can get a certain portion of the population vaccinated and then we can overcome this like we have the power to do this rather than understanding that we have no power in ourselves and coming to God with that kind of attitude to seek Him in dependence, asking that His presence would make the difference in our lives. Peter saying, watch in prayer. This is a time to be praying. Um, I was meeting someone from another local church here in town. And uh, I was encouraged to hear, he was telling me about how they have a weekly men's group uh, in their church they, uh, that meets uh, Thursday mornings, early morning at about like 5.30 in the morning. And I guess about 15 men gathered together. And uh, I was encouraged to hear that. And I thought that was a great example of this verse, right? Like, because obviously you have to exercise self-control Wednesday evening, Like you can't eat something that's going to keep you up, right? Or you have to like uh, exercise self-control and plan ahead and sleep early. And why is that? For the sake of your prayers, right? That you're going to offer up Thursday morning. I was thinking, oh man, maybe that's a really great idea for our church. Like men's group, 5.30 Thursday morning. How many of you guys would come to that? Like in person. We're not doing Zoom. In person. Maybe here at SVC. Okay. Uh, Those of you, Pastor Aiden would love to host that meeting. So (laughs) uh, it's it's an idea. It's a great idea. But that kind of attitude, you know, like, oh man, that kind of Wednesday evening attitude. Right? Sober-minded, self-controlled. For the sake of your prayers, he's saying, approach your entire lives like that. Okay. Watch in prayer. And then secondly, uh, he talks about watch your one-another relationships. Okay. He gives three one-another exhortations. Love one another, show hospitality to one another, serve one another. Right? Verse 8, above all, keep... Loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. So he says, love, love one another, because it's so easy to, to stop loving one another. And it's so easy to pretend to love one another. Right? That's why he says, keep loving one another earnestly and then talks about show hospitality to one another even when it's not convenient do it without grumbling and all the different ways that hospitality shows up in the Bible you know we get the sense that hospitality is supposed to be a lot more important than kind of how we take it in our culture today and then he says serve one another because each has received a gift, use it to serve one another according to God's very grace. Now, I was kind of thinking like, okay, so our church these days, um, it's no secret our church is not running the way it used to. Not that before it, w- it was like all that great and stuff, but now our church is not running as smoothly as it used to. Right, like we're trying to get things running again because more of you are coming out and and you know more events and things like that. And but uh, it's not running as smoothly as it used to because like we're kind of missing the people to serve in those roles. Right, like to be honest, right now we don't know when life groups are gonna start up. We're gonna take a break. We don't know because um, we don't have some of the people to serve in those roles. Um, So I was thinking, like, what am I supposed to do? Like, what what do we do to get the church running again? We're supposed to, like, come up here and preach about serving? (laughs) We serve one another, stuff like that? Um, I was encouraged by this because we're reminded through this that the church belongs to God, right? He's saying that God has gifted people within the church according to His very grace, So that means that he will stir up and raise up his people to serve one another. And he does that. He's the one who does that according to his grace so that he may receive the glory. So here Peter looks outward, right? He looks outward. He looks at the times. He looks at the circumstances and he says, The end of all things is at hand. So, we need to pray, and then he looks inward at God's people and says, "Above all, love one another, show hospitality to one another, serve one another." I don't think it's a coincidence here that he talks about suffering right before this and right after this, right these in like one another verses are here, right before this he talked about suffering, and then immediately the immediate verse after this. He's all, again, talking about suffering. Sandwiched in between those suffering verses are these exhortations to care for one another. Because how we care for one another is crucial in our dealings with suffering. Suffering's inevitable. will come to God's people, anyone who bears the name of Jesus Christ, but in the midst of that, care for one another. Because God often comes to us in our sufferings as we love and serve one another. Um, So, again, this is graduation weekend, and we'll shortly congratulate all the graduates who are finishing their program this semester and moving on. And all the graduates deserve to be recognized. Your accomplishment is a great accomplishment, and you all deserve to be recognized. But the world will recognize some of you more. So for example, Felix, he finished his undergrad program, and now he's going to med school, right? Like the model Asian, right? So the world recognizes that more. Even our sister Angela, another good Asian. Plans to apply to med school. Become a pediatric oncologist. Those are two really powerful words. But some of you who are graduating are not following the model Asian track. You graduated from college and you have no job. You don't know what you're going to do with your life. You see, that's the thing. Like, that's how the world will evaluate all of us. Um, I was thinking, and this passage came to mind as I thought about, you know, graduation Sunday and some of you moving on. First Kings chapter 3 is when Solomon is just starting out as king. And God appears to him in a dream and says, ask what I should give to you. And this is when Solomon had nothing but his title. And he says to God, God, I'm so young. I don't know anything. I don't know what to do. God, I need wisdom. I need wisdom to do what you're calling me to do. And 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 10 says, It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked for this. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked for this. Fast forward many years, and we come to first Kings chapter eleven, and now he's renowned. He's accomplished, right? Like right, we, queens have come from distant lands to just to hear his wisdom to see if this is the reputation is true. And it proved to be true. Like he's renowned, he's known, he's accomplished, wealthiest man. But that's also the chapter where he's got now 700 wives, 300 concubines, and he's building altars for all his wives, foreign wives. He's sacrificing to these foreign gods. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 9 says, And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord. So Solomon pleased the Lord the most when he had nothing. When he had no riches, no reputation, no MD after his name, because all he wanted to do was please the Lord. Final exhortation is this. Especially for those of you who will be graduating and moving on, watch your heart closely. The Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord. Watch your heart closely. Be careful as more and more blessings get added to your life and to your resume. Be careful with each passing accomplishment because this life journey is long and a lot will happen in the course of our lives and the shifts the shifts are subtle the shifts that take place in our hearts to go away from the lord they're so gradual so the goal is not just to start out well but to but to end well we will all have our bumps and bruises along the way we will fail we will make mistakes We have to know that it really doesn't matter how people will judge us along the way. But we just want to be able to cross the finish line with hearts that please the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would keep us near the word of God. And uh, may our hearts be pleasing to you. All the different things that we'll face in our lives um, this week, this summer, this upcoming year, and beyond. Um, help us to watch our lives, our hearts closely according to the word of the Lord. Keep us near. So, uh, strengthen us be glorified through our church and in our lives pray in Jesus name Heavenly Father we depend on your grace we thank you for the provision of Jesus Christ who suffered on our behalf the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God that is our hope we believe that by your power you are guarding our faith refining and purifying our faith through the sufferings that we go in our lives so that this faith which is more precious than gold will be deeper purified help us to zone in on that imperishable inheritance that's waiting for us in heaven even as we navigate the, the temptations and struggle through this life here on earth help us lord to look to you with eyes of faith and uh, depend on you and trust in the work of jesus christ so that every day we can live our lives in a way that is honoring, glorifying to you, pleasing in the eyes of God. Thank you, Lord, for your unending grace that makes this possible. Now may that grace, that grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, this unchanging covenant love of the Father God, the fellowship and the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit be with you, both now and forever. Amen.